Path to College, George's 529 program, has graciously agreed to sponsor a few bonus episodes of The Upside all about adulting. This is episode two. A couple days ago, we dove into planning for college education, paying for college education using Georgia's 529 plan. If you've got someone who's got college in their future, or if you're planning on someday having a tiny human who's going to have college in their future, go back and listen to that episode or visit callieandjeff.com slash college to get all the information on the terrific benefits and how easy Georgia's 529 college savings plan is. On this episode, we are talking with Rebecca Richardson from Atlas Investment Advisors. She is a lead wealth advisor. She's a CPA and a certified financial planner, and she is the financial planner for Jeff and I. She's going to be answering questions about life insurance, saving for retirement, and estate planning. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Upside with Callie and Jeff. This episode is part of our special series on adulting, brought to you by Path to College, Georgia's 529 plan. Rebecca, we already got Ellie's college covered using Georgia's 529 plan. What other savings accounts should we have as responsible adults trying to get ahead? Well, I think the first thing to think about even before starting a family or as you're planning to start a family is um, an emergency fund. You know, I think that term gets thrown around a lot and everybody, you know, I roll at the emergency fund, but uh, I think it can be so important, especially, you know, when you start a family, there's, you know, so many unexpected curveballs. I know a lot of mamas who aren't sure when they, you know, go out on maternity leave, whether they want to come back. And so having that emergency fund built up for, you know, different curveballs in life, job loss, uh, is a great thing to have. And I usually recommend three to six months of expenses set aside, you know, just for a safe haven. So you can go essentially into your credit card, debit card, whatever, and pull what you've spent in a month. And that will tell you average, like, okay, if if somebody doesn't have any idea what they're spending in a month, the first step would be, okay, what do I spend? And then out of that times that by three, yep, that's how much you want to have in savings. Would you say that people should do that paycheck, every single paycheck, take out just a little bit, or would you say a percentage or does it matter? I think it depends on, on the individual family and what they're comfortable with. But generally speaking, um, you know, we look at kind of a cash, cash flow or your income in a water flow perspective, right? So when you get cash, typically the first thing in the water flow is an emergency savings account. Um, That's generally, you know, if something catastrophic happens, we've got this cash, we can pay our rent, we can pay our mortgage. So I would say backing into, okay, I spend $5,000 a month. Ideally, I'd like to have between fifteen and thirty thousand in savings. How do I get there right now with my current cash flow? How much can I afford to set aside every month to hit that target? So that's step one in the cash flow waterfall, right? Once I've hit that target, what's the next thing? And maybe that's five two nine. Maybe there's you know other accounts, but I always think that is number one on the list because you just don't know where life's going to take you. And so. when you when you say fund. Mm-hmm. 
you're just talking about a savings account, right? Like this isn't the, there's no investment account called the emergency fund or right. whatever. And there's no fancy tax deductions or anything. This is just you're going to your bank cash in a coffee yep. can in the backyard. Yep. Old school style this like, is under the mattress. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. okay. So you go to your bank, you open a savings account. If you don't have one already, when something comes in or whatever, like our specific example, we do 25% because Rebecca helped us do that. So we put 25% right when it comes in. We don't even see it. We act like it's not there. And then we go about our business. Right. And that sits in a savings account until you need it. And, you know, on the investment side, the the good thing about cash is that it's easily accessible, right? It's liquid. It's there when you need it. You don't know when a job loss is going to happen. You can't anticipate everything in life. So to, to have cash set aside for those times when you need immediate access to it, that's why, you know, there's no fancy deductions. There's nothing fancy about it, but it's there when you need it. And that's, that's the point. It's better to have it when you need it than not have it. Okay. So. Um, I want to address what, like, right off the the bat, the thing that I think is most confusing about adulting Mm -hmm. or adulting financial stuff, and that is life insurance. I, I don't get it because life insurance has always been something that, that, you know, when, when, what's it called? Open enrollment or whatever. Right. If you have a job, um, whoever has benefits in the family, there's a checkbox and it says, uh, like I think in, in Callie's case, because I'm on her benefits, it's like X times her salary. Right. And then for me, it's just what, you you could go out and purchase a policy. Well, well, I think she has great benefits. So I think on her benefits for 10 bucks a month, I'm covered. Like I have, $100,000 $100,000 policy or whatever. I'm right. making numbers up. I don't know what they are. That's always been life insurance to me. But mm-hmm. then you see these ads and there's like group and term and and investment. And like you get your yeah. money back from your insurance policies and all, all of this stuff. It What is it? What do we yeah. need? How does yeah. it work? Yeah. What? Translate it. So, <laughs> you know. Life insurance is such an important topic, especially for young families. And, you know, not to throw shade at the other, you know, at my industry that I work in, but generally speaking, you know, there's a lot of quote unquote products out there, right? And I think life insurance agents sometimes or even financial advisors use it as kind of a scare tactic. Um, I think it's super important because, you know, if you, if one of you were to pass away, right, inherently that is not just that year's worth of lost income. That's a, that's your lifetime worth of lost income. And so if something were to happen to one of you, you know, the other spouse then has to support Ellie, you to run a business. So that spouse has to think about, well, am I going to con- be able to continue running the business? Am I going to be able to continue working. And so it's so important to plan around the family specific goals when it comes to life insurance. For example, Callie, if we were having a conversation about life insurance planning, I would ask you off the bat, what's your goal? If something happened to Jeff today, do you want to continue working? Something will happen to me. She watches way too much <laughs> Dateline for me, kill him. <laughs> for me not to just disappear someday. So it will happen and it will happen I'm shortly. I'm not going to kill you. Don't I, be dramatic. And every Dateline she watches, 
the guy disappears <laughs> right after she takes out like four different insurance policies. <laughs> so what sort of policies is she taking out before I go missing? <laughs> so I think a term life insurance policy simple is better when it comes to to life insurance. What are the different categories? Am I so, right? Term is one term, is group or whole something? Whole life insurance. Whole life, that's and then and then you get into kind of all the different variations of whole life insurance. So term life insurance kind of like the the definitional term is that it covers you for a certain period of time. And that's really all you need, right? Because typically for most families, that's really all you need. While Ellie is a minor until she turns 18, you know, life looks a lot different. Your expenses look a lot right. different while she's younger. And also, you know, I think for a lot of insurance advisors, they're pushing products whole life, like whole life that last your whole life. They have an investment account component. It gets fancy, it right? Gets you don't, really you fancy. don't need anything that's that fancy. You need to be, you need to know that if something were to happen to Jeff, you know, up until Ellie turns 18 or 25, that you would be covered. So is that a magical, is there a magical formula with that? So say just for ease of numbers, say I make $50,000 a year mm -hmm. and Jeff makes $50,000 a year. So our combined income is, and I'm totally making up these numbers, $100,000. We're not nearly that rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just say that that's it, right? Do you like multiply the missing salary by a certain number of years? Like, how do I even know how much I need? If I make $50,000 a year and so does my husband, how much, how much life insurance do we need? So I'll caveat this with every family is different, but in general, we don't like to recommend anything less than $250,000 in life insurance per child, you know, in today's. All right. So our $100,000 policy ain't going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. But well, that's right. how we've never shopped for proper life insurance, like every policy I've ever had. And I would that be with the employer provided insurance? Is that a term policy or is that just a check? Like, is that just? That is usually a term policy. Um, every it's, I've never seen it be a whole life insurance policy, but through the employer, you get, you know, Cali two and a half times your salary and that's the payout. That's the amount of the payout. It's not necessarily a term. If something were to happen to you and you were still employed, you would Jeff would then, as the beneficiary, receive that amount in a payout. Oh, so I should start watching Dateline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. That evens the playing field quite a bit. But with term life, like if something happens, generally speaking, do they pay you per year? Like they send you one check a year? No. So term is the length of the amount of time that you're paying the premium. So, and that you'll get that payout. So if you have a 20-year term policy, you are going to pay that premium for the next 20 years. And that's the amount of payout. If something were to happen to Jeff in that time frame, then you would be eligible for the, and that the life. That premium okay. doesn't change or it does, it fluctuates. It can change. Okay. Um, and premium is just a fancy word for how much they charge you, right? Right. Like that's, that's what the cost is. Right. We try to make it all fancy. Why you got to be fancy? Just yes. tell me how much it costs. Yes. It yes. costs. Premium is just how much it costs. And, you know, usually when you're talking anything with insurance, you're weighing cost and benefit, right? Mm -hmm. The cost is what you're going to pay every month out of your paycheck or to a third party agent or insurance company for the, for the policy. The benefit is, well, the peace of mind and uh, payout if something were to happen to one of you, um, 
to know that you're going to be covered, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a pretty big benefit when you have a small child to life insurance for a pretty small cost. If you're a young couple, mm-hmm. the older you get, the more expensive it's going to cost and the less you need it. But when you're a young family just starting out, well, the cost benefit analysis, I rarely see a time where life insurance is not needed because the benefit outweighs the cost. Who is there an advantage to, um, the child being the beneficiary, like a tax advantage or anything to the, to the child being the beneficiary versus the surviving spouse or, um, if, or like a guardian, like a grandparent or a trusted cousin or something like that. Right. So that is really important with estate planning too, because children, um, under the age of majority, which is usually 21 years old, cannot inherit money outright or life insurance outright. So when you're doing your estate planning with your estate planning attorney, you know, it's really important to let them know if you have any insurance policies uh, because the child can't directly inherit that money. So, you know, potentially trust planning is important. Those kinds of things are important to just talk about with an expert like an attorney. Is there a threshold um because you brought up a trust, yeah, right, which I've heard about. But to me, that's that's just that's rich people stuff, right? Right. Is is there <laughs> is there an income level where you would say, generally speaking, if the if if the family earns more than X number of dollars, then they should consult a estate planning attorney, look into a trust, all that other stuff, if the income is less than this amount, then you could probably do one of those, you know, lawyer.com website, fill in blank wills things. So in general, I don't think it has anything to do with income. Um, In general, I think, you know, if you're if you're planning for a family, trusts are a really scary word, right? And we all think, oh, trusts are for rich rich people. But trusts are actually a trust is a vehicle. It's a bucket where money goes in and essentially um, you designate a person. It could be yourself. It could be someone else to have control over that bucket. So for Ellie, you know, no matter what your incomes are, if something happened to both of you, she needs, she's going to get, if, especially if you have life insurance, a bucket of money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, she will spend it all on peanut butter crackers <laughs> in 30 days. Yes. It'll all be gone. <laughs> so for her bucket, you know, you need someone to have control over that bucket. So a trust makes sense. She can't control her own bucket at five. Right. So it doesn't matter what your income is. If she's getting, if she's inheriting money, which by law she can't inherit as a six year old, there's a bucket of money there. And it's up to the two of you in your planning to name either yourselves, if something were to happen to one of you or someone else, if something were to happen to both of you, who's going to have control over that bucket? And so trust can be sound really scary, can sound, and it, it's not like you have to go out tomorrow and go to an attorney and say, I want the most complicated trust um, out there. What happens is as part of your, as part of doing your will and your healthcare directives, maybe there's a section in your will that if something happened to both of you, well, that bucket of money goes into a trust for Ellie and you designate somebody who has control over that bucket. So it's not something that you're creating 
No. We're, we're not creating it now and then paying some right. sort of monthly exactly. or quarterly fee. Nope. It's just it. like okay. a safe place. It's a safe place and it's a it's a bucket. It's an imaginary bucket. And so if something were to happen to the the two of you, you would rather have control over the bucket than have the government have control over it or or someone right. you don't want having control over it. So it it sounds scary, uh, but but really it's just a vehicle. What about while we're talking about this, wills, because a thing that we talked about in our last meeting with you was, okay, you guys need to have a will. Yes. And to me, to be totally honest, that sounds completely crazy because we don't own anything. Mm-hmm. Like we have cars, but like they're not worth $80,000. Right. Like we don't have crazy expensive cars. We don't own a home. We don't. So why why would we need a will and why is it and, important? And yeah. I, well, we do have like retirement accounts and savings accounts and, and business accounts. Right. But my naive, probably naive thought is if something happened to me, all that just goes to Callie by law, right? Right. If something happens to Callie, it goes, it goes to me. Mm-hmm. And if something happened to both of us, it goes to Ellie. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> that's why, that's, that's that's wrong. why I said it with a question mark because I think I think we talked about that last time right. we met and you were like, that's not always no, the no. case. No. So um, a, a will is a way to kind of codify and designate your, your wishes, right? And it and you know, I can get into the process of how probate works and all that stuff, but generally speaking, when you have a minor child, you must have a will. And, you know, I'll sit down with my girlfriends. I still have girlfriends out there who I know are listening to this, who need to do this. Um, But I would say the most important thing about having a will when you have a minor child is that a will designates guardianship of children. So whether you own, you know, $5 million worth of property or whether you own no property. It doesn't matter. You need a will. Um, in the state of Georgia, particularly, and in many other states, if you do not have a will, then and something were to happen to both of you, the court gets to decide what's ha- what happens to Ellie, right? And that is not a process that takes an hour. That is a process that can take weeks. And with COVID, you know, the courts are backed up. And so we are recommending to everybody with a minor child that you have a will. And what is interesting and what I've seen in working with clients and young couples who, you know, are expecting children or have recently had children is that the guardianship, you know, is the most contentious part of an estate plan because, you know, one parent doesn't like the other's mom or brother or whatever. And so it can be really difficult and really hard emotionally to think about what if I'm not here? What if I can't raise, you know, what if I can't raise Ellie and no one's going to do as good of a job as the two of you are going to do. Right. Right. But I don't know about that. I think I think there's a lot. We're not the best here. Yeah. Um, we're we're kind of coast, we're, we're coasting along. And yeah. I will say, like, it's so hard because you also have to have really uncomfortable conversations. And I will say right now, we don't have a will, but we did spend a lot of time talking about godparents for Ellie because I think the reality is, okay, what if something happens to us? And, you know, my parents live in town, but they're getting older. Like, right. what if they can't, they're not in an age where they can take care of Ellie? Like, then what happens to her? Right. And it's a really uncomfortable thing to talk about. And it took us 
a while to come to that decision. The biggest deterrent from creating a will is naming a guardian. And that is the biggest reason why you should have a will uh, is to name a guardian because at the end of the day, you know, you'd rather decide than have the court decide, right? So you'd rather you be in control of that decision than our court system. Well, and who knows when they'll get around to it, which is what you made a really good point. Like who knows what's going to, you want to make sure that your kid is protected if the worst happens and if there is chaos. And if there is chaos, that could include what the government decides. And they don't care if your kid is scared, is sad, is grieving, is whatever. Like the law is the law. Right. And so in a, in a time, you know, in the, in the worst time in a child's life to, to put them through, you know, the uncertainty of waiting on a court to decide what happens to them, you know, they're not just going to go to your mom or dad while the court decides they're going to be, you know, wards of the court. And so they're not just going to go, oh, well, it's okay. You go with your grandmother while we take six months to decide. They're going to make a decision first before the child gets to go with, you know, a family member, whoever they appoint. So it's just so important. And I think that part of it is overlooked because emotionally it's a really tough conversation to have, uh, but it's the most important conversation. And we always think of wills. I mean, I don't know about you, Jeff, but it's like, I bequeath my (laughs) stereo system from, I bequeath the blender that I can't seem to get rid of to this lucky person. And then we don't really think about that. Right. What other, um, so now we're in the lawyer's office and we're doing our will. Yep. I assume. This is all, by the way, we're calling it a state attorney. That's who you call. Yes. An estate planning attorney. So. Uh, so, so we're in there and we're doing our will. I assume in that, like with the guardian thing would be all the financial stuff. So not only the life insurance, but if we have a savings account, like an emergency cash account, like Mm -hmm. that would be in the will, like that goes to Ellie, that would go into her trust. Right. The, the, the five, two, nine account, the control of that would go to her official guardian. Like what? While we're in the lawyer's office, mm-hmm. what other documents should we be asking about on that visit? Yeah, for sure. So financial power of attorneys are really important. So those allow you to name uh, someone that you trust to take control over your finances in the event that you're unable to. So you would name an agent or somebody who you know would act on your behalf as a fiduciary to you in the event that you became disabled or incapacitated. Um, Is that usually like a family member or a... Yep. So I think in your, in your, your situation, it would be to name each other first. And then in the event that one of you couldn't serve, you would name a backup agent to serve in that role. And, um, you know, this happens more often than, than people think. I see it all the time where, you know, there's an accident or something happens and, you know, say you had Kelly an account just in your name um, that wasn't a joint account with Jeff's name on it too. Um, Jeff couldn't just access that account because you're married. His name isn't on it. He would need to be your financial power of attorney legally, your agent to act on your behalf if you couldn't. Anything else that we need to get like in writing while we're estate planning? Yes. I think the last thing that I 
would consider really, really important is a healthcare directive uh, for both of you. So, you know, that's a legal document that essentially outlines kind of your your wishes um, medically if you aren't able to speak for yourself. So, essentially, if if one of you were to get in a bad car accident and you couldn't tell the doctors, you know, what your wishes were as like far life as support stuff, life support. Um, do not resuscitate. Um, keep me on. Keep me on a ventilator for as long as possible. You know, some some people want that. Some people don't want to be touched. So um, that outlines kind of your wishes and the agent. Um, again, someone you trust to act in your best interest to carry out the terms of the directive that you're you're setting forth um, is also really important. So in your situations, you'd probably name each other as agent and then figure out a, a backup agent. Who else? If one of you couldn't serve, who else would you trust to fill that role? And I think this is really important for a number of reasons. But one reason is because I have seen people, and I'm sure that you've seen this, that either don't know or are in the heat of the moment and they can ask you in five, they need a five second answer. Right. Do you want us to save their life? And that's all you get. You right. don't get days. You don't get hours. A lot of times, like they call you and they say, do you want us to resuscitate this person or not? And you're sitting there in the worst moment of your life, trying to make that decision at the time. Like for me, I don't want to do that to Jeff. I don't right. want him to have to make that decision and to live with that because right. I just think that would be really hard for him. Right. So I think the intention behind it, you know, if, if you love someone, you don't want them to have to make that decision in a moment of horror, you know? Right. Um, and then the other thing, what else was I going to ask about the healthcare directive? Oh, with all the legal stuff that we've been talking about, where do you keep all this stuff? Like, are you supposed yes, to send it to people? That is so important. People, I think, create these documents and then they go into a black hole and no one can ever find them ever again. But I would say, you know, usually most estate planning attorneys will give you the documents in a binder. You know, keep the binder somewhere safe that you know where it is. Let the agents that you've appointed know where your documents are. And then uh, for our clients, we keep electronic copies of everything. So just that, you know. So we should let, like, once we do this stuff, we yes. let my parents know, just say, hey, Rebecca yes. has copies of everything. Yep. So just pick up the phone and call her. Absolutely. If something happens. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've got some clients who keep their, you know, all their important documents in a, in a safe in their garage and they give you know, their mom or sister, brother, the combination and say, if something happens to me, everything is in the safe. And by the way, here's my advisor's card. If anything happens, they have electronic copies of everything. Just out of morbid curiosity, have you ever gotten that call? Once, yes. And, you know, statistically speaking, we always say with this stuff, I think everybody thinks, well, it'll never happen to me. And that's just kind of the mindset. But for us, statistically speaking, one of our clients will, this will happen to somebody. Mm -hmm. We just don't know who. Mm -hmm. And so part of our job is making sure everybody's prepared um, and planned for because this not having this stuff can just become such a nightmare. It's, it's a lot of work on the front end. I know that, uh, but it can be so much worse on the back end. Thank you for listening to The Upside with Callie and Jeff. This episode was presented by Path to College, Georgia's 529 plan. 
For more information, visit callieandjeff.com slash college. And remember, it's never too late to start adulting. Thank you to Rebecca Richardson from Atlas Investment Advisors for all of your help. To get in touch with Rebecca, go to www.invest-atlas.com.